0: happen as a result. And it can be hard sometimes to figure out. Sometimes the just thing might be all the toys go in the dumpster and no one gets to play with anything ever again. But sometimes it can be pretty straightforward. Okay, that's wrong. That's right. This is the punishment. And we can can think, well, it's so much more complicated with adults. It's so much more complicated with society at large. But if you really break it down, the, the conflicts are all kind of the same. The attitudes are all kind of the same. It is not that different to see justice done for someone who's a toddler and someone who's adult. And we can look at this verse that says, "...evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely, and think to ourselves, well, I seek after God, therefore my opinion is correct." I seek after God, and, and so I know what justice is, completely. It says it right there. But it's kind of like a mechanic who, who might understand how cars work generally, but you pull in your car specifically, and there's going to be nuance there. There's going to be difficulty there. There's going to be things that, that we don't have figured out. And this idea of understanding justice is, is an ongoing one. It's one that we're constantly refining. As as God's justice, which is universal, absolute, and eternal, bumps up against our concerns and our experiences and our preconceptions. And so I would be willing to bet I'm going to upset you some this morning. Know that as I was preparing this, I was upsetting myself first. Right? The wonderful thing about true justice about God's justice is that it does not play favorites to a political party, to a nation, to an individual. God's justice is universal. And so if we are going to understand justice, it requires us to have a deep humility before God. Understanding justice requires a deep humility before God where we we recognize his authority to decide what is right and how things should be done. But we also depend on him to accomplish the justice that he has ordained. Just as we prayed earlier, thy kingdom come. So let's look at that this morning. First, we're going to see what justice is. What is justice? Then we're going to see why it is important. And then we'll look at how we can do justice. First, what is justice? There's a million competing ideas as to what is just and what is unjust in our world. And so it's important to understand what it is if we want to try to undertake it. And in Proverbs, there's two general words, two general concepts that are used for justice or injustice over the course of this book. There's one that refers to primary justice, this idea of of equal and fair treatment across all people. This is related to this idea of of righteousness, of just doing what is right. Primary justice. But there's also uh, an idea of rectifying justice. When when primary justice is not fulfilled, when people are not treated fairly, when there is wrong done, what is done to fix that? This rectifying justice, putting things right. Maybe that involves punishment, maybe that involves restitution, but it's related to this idea of judgment, when something is wrong, how is it made right? There's primary justice and there's rectifying justice. And, and over the course of this book, we see both interweaving, both held up together. And the, the thing that unifies both of them is that there's this, this concept that is implied by them of, of a universality, a universal standard. You can't say something is fair without defining what fairness is. You can't say something needs to be made right without understanding and, and realizing there is something right to which it needs to be held. And we see in verse chapter 16, verse 11, this idea. It says, A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. If there is something that is just... If there is something that is fair, it belongs to God. All justice is God's justice. There is nothing in this life, there is nothing that we experience that is just that does not have God's fingerprints on it. God makes things just. All just things come from Him. And that means that, that He is the standard for justice. God is the standard for justice, both in who He is and in what He does. And, and further, in, in what he says, what he has revealed to us, God is the standard. He is both writes the rules and upholds them. In theory, this is kind of what a referee should do, right? To know the rules, to have the rules so completely, and enforce them uniformly. And it's why it's so rare to see it happen. <laughs> it's why you see players screaming at the referee, that's not fair, that's not right, because they're human, and they can't bear the weight of what is right. But God can. And this, this reality of the, the universality of justice, how it, it has to be the same for everyone, how everyone needs to look to it in the same way, is why we so, see so many different iterations, people trying to attach things to the concept of justice today. We've seen social justice Seen racial justice. Maybe you've heard of climate justice or reproductive justice or religious justice. Everyone wants to attach what they are caring about to this idea of justice. Now, make no mistake, justice has something to say about all those things. Justice applies to our society, justice applies to the way that we deal with people of other ethnicities, the way we look at the world, the way we treat women and their children the way we look at religions, ours and others. Justice applies to all these things, but justice is deeper and beyond, and so we need to be careful that we don't attach what we want to be right to God's justice in a hope to kind of play off of his homework, so to speak. We need to look at the God who transcends everything and recognize that he decides what is just We read in chapter 22, verse 2, that the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Maybe your translation says the rich and the poor are the same. The Lord is the maker or the creator of them all. And we see this, that no matter what your standing is, no matter what you bring to the table, God is the one who has created you. We want to look around and say, well... I mean, obviously, I understand more because I'm not living like that. I'm not doing those things. But God says, I am the maker of all. You are all my creatures. And so we don't bring something to the table that makes us understand justice better because of where we are. We don't bring something to the table that says we get to decide what is justice. God is the maker of us all. No matter our standing, we have the same rules, the same promises, the same expectations, the same calling from God to do justice. And so when we think about how to do justice, particularly in reference to the poor and the downtrodden and those who need help, we should not be paternalistic about it. Well, well I know what's best because I'm not in that situation. We shouldn't be proud in the way that we come. And we should do this without reward, even if that reward is just that we feel better about ourselves. Are we willing to do justice when we don't get to control it all the time? Is this idea of the rich and the poor is a theme throughout Proverbs, throughout Scripture. This is one of the primary ways that, that we can see justice at work in society. And God doesn't just want us to leave it to him. Yes, we look to him as the author of justice. We look at the one who ultimately upholds it, but he also wants us to to do justice. As it says in chapter 21, verse 3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Sometimes we think we know what God wants. Well, he wants sacrifice. He wants this performative affection. God, we love you so much. Look at what we're doing. We're doing the things of you. But God is saying, do righteousness and justice. This is more acceptable. It's not that he doesn't care about sacrifices, but we can get caught up in these things when he wants us to live out the justice that flows from his person, that flows from his son. And what does justice look like? One of the the primary ways we can be just is to treat all people equal, regardless of their standing and regardless of the cost to ourselves. So we read in chapter 24 it says partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the wicked you are in the right will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. Partiality in judging is not good. We can be we can be partial in the way that we evaluate people, in the way that we evaluate systems, in the way that we evaluate politics. We can be partial in the way that we judge things and people around us. This is saying you need to be impartial. If something is wicked, call it wicked. If something is right, call it right. If you don't, there will be consequences. And so we should call things as they are. In spite of our preferences... In spite of, of our inclinations, the narrative that we want to be true, in, in spite of how we feel about it. If something is wrong, call it wrong. If something is right, applaud it. Say that it is good and right. In chapter 28, it says, to show partiality is not good. This is the thing. Partiality is not good. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. We understand that partiality is not good. We understand it is wrong to be unjust in certain ways. But when we have a need, we are willing to compromise. How are we willing to compromise to meet what we think we need? There's this trend. I don't know what's going on there. Um, There's this trend in... Uh, liberal areas in particular, these very dense cities that have uh, low-income housing developments that that they want to put to house all these people. And I I take these, these cities at their word when they say they care about the homeless. They care about those who are downtrodden, who are destitute. But oftentimes, it comes up for a city council vote and the zoning laws that say, hey, we want to put an apartment complex there. And, and all the people in the neighborhood who say, we care about the poor, we care about the homeless, come out. And they say, don't put that in our neighborhood. Don't put that where we are. Don't put that where we live. Because for a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. What are we willing to compromise to meet a need that we think we have? What wicked thing are we willing to call right to show partiality when we think we need something or want something. In chapter 24, verses 10 through 12, it says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not do this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? This idea that when we want to do justice, it's when push comes to shove, when there is a day of adversity that comes. That is when we can truly tell if we are doing justice. And If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. But in that day, we are particularly called to rescue those who are being taken away, to hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. In that day, that's when we are especially called to do justice, to show the wisdom and faithfulness we have from God by by speaking up, by rescuing those who need our help most. Sometimes we're averse to even small costs. loss of reputation. A loss of social capital, the inconvenience of it, the fact that this doesn't really line up with the politics that I profess. But we are to have a commitment to justice in all things, not just the obvious ones. As it says, if you say, Behold, we did not know this, but he who weighs the heart will perceive it. We can claim ignorance, but if our ignorance is willful, then God will repay according to our work. So justice, we can see, is this applying of God's being, who he is, what he has done, his standard for what is right in the world. But why is justice important? This might be like a, seem like a silly question to, to ask. Why is justice important? Why, why do we care about it? of course we care about it. everyone cares about justice but the world is constantly telling us that we are to follow our heart do what you want what do you desire what's best for you what do you need to fulfill yourself follow after that and in that kind of world if we're all claiming what we want is justice we're going to inevitably conflict with one another so better question almost would be to ask, why is God's justice important? Not the way we define it, but why is God's justice important? In chapter 22, verse 8, it says, Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. This idea of sowing injustice, the slow, slow, throwing out of injustice as we go about our lives, like a farmer in a field tossing out seed, sowing injustice by what we do, by doing wrong, but also by, by what we don't do, by failing to treat the poor, the widow, the sojourner fairly. And this sowing of injustice will result in calamity being reaped. Chapter 21, verse 15 says, When justice is done... It is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. When justice is done, when you see things happening, things being made right, does that bring you joy, or does that make you afraid? Because if that causes fear within you, then, then you are not on the side you should be. We should see things being made right and rejoice in them. Be so happy that good is being done, that right is being restored, that that things that were wrong have come untrue. We should not be terrified. It's like a kid who smacks their sibling and then immediately says, sorry, 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 you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, because they understand justice is coming and they're afraid. Is that the way that we react? In chapter 13, verse 23, it says that the fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. This idea of the, of the fallow ground of the poor, the ground that is uncultivated, that is untended to, it would produce so much food except for injustice. This primary justice, this justice that is not being done, literally sweeps away the crops. All the production, all the the success that could come from this is being swept away because of injustice. Not through apathy, not through laziness, but through injustice. There is a systemic injustice that can cause poverty, that can cause destitution and pain and suffering that can hurt the goodness that that, that could be provided if it were not there. There is a sense in the the things that we do collectively, as a community, as a nation, can harm people. And it will sweep away the the food, the the produce, the, the goodness that could flow from that. In chapter 22, verse 22... It says, do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. There's a sense in which it's, it's easier to rob the poor because of his poverty. Those who are already downtrodden, those who are already destitute, don't have the social capital, don't have the skills, don't have the connections, don't have the, the knowing. That, that those of us who are not like that have. And so it would be easy to crush them, to rob them. This idea of being at the gate, in, in the ancient Near East, the gate was the, this place where the elders would sit. It was a place of decision-making, where, where the, the judging of community matters would happen. It's almost like, like a, a court, and it says, do not crush the afflicted at the gate. And it says, for the Lord will plead their cause this is the image of a courtroom. And God is the defense attorney. And you don't want to be the prosecutor in that case. The Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. There is justice coming for those who don't live it out. What afflicts the poor? What crushes the afflicted? What robs them? And are you and I joining in those things. Maybe we're not actively participating in them, but we're benefiting from them. What systems, what apathy, what community policies, what laws, what courts are doing this? And are we joining in them? In chapter 14, verse 31, it says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker but he who is generous to the needy honors him whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker but he who is generous to the needy honors him god cares about and identifies with the poor because he says if you oppress him you're insulting me Part of this is because they're made in the image of God. but Part of this is because God regularly identifies with those who are poor and desperate and needy and recognize that they don't have, don't have anything to offer. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is telling this, this story about what's going to happen at the end of days when the judgment comes. And there will be people who, who are rewarded for doing good to the destitute. And there will be people who are punished for, for not doing good. And they're both like, what's going on? Why why are you said that I'm being rewarded for the way I treated you, or you're saying that I'm being punished for the way I treated you, Jesus? And the king will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. God identifies with those who are needy, with those who are imprisoned, with those who don't bring anything to the table, with, with those without power. And those who are generous to those people honor the Lord. Chapter 21, verse 13. It says, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. This passive sin. It's not that they go and do injustice to the poor, but the poor are crying out and they close their ears to it. I'm just not listening. I don't hear it. That failing to hear the poor's cry will result in punishment because when they cry out, they will not be answered. And this isn't necessarily the idea that God will keep them from being answered. It's this idea that if we perpetuate... A culture, if we perpetuate a society that does not care about those who are crying out in need, then when we're in need, should we really be surprised that no one answers? Finally, why is justice important? When chapter fourteen, verse thirty-four, it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. This idea that doing right, right living, living out justice, exalts a nation. But sin sin is a reproach to any people. This is why when I hear people say, I don't like talking about this collective sin. The Bible talks about collective sin. It's not that every single individual person in this nation is sinning in this way. But there is a covenantal guilt a reproach that comes with sin being allowed to perpetuate in a society, and a community, and in a culture. And this isn't just something for Christians. There's many Old Testament prophets that speak directly to pagan nations and call them out and, and confront them for their failure to uphold basic justice, for the way that they treat the poor and the needy and the widow and the sojourner within their midst. This is a universal standard that righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. So we see what justice is, this universal outflow of who God is and what He is doing and what He says. but also, we've seen how it's important that there are consequences for those who do not uphold justice. But what does it mean for us to be just? How can we be just? And there's three large categories. There's the practical, there's the what we can be, and then how we need to look to Jesus. But, but within them, there's a, a bunch of different ways. Practically speaking, the way to do justice is to do justice. Act justly, support justice, wherever it's found. Both in your personal life, and your relationships, but in the courts, in our laws, in our government, in our personal dealings, in our business... Do justice. Do what is right. Do what is fair. Not what serves you best, not what what leans towards the, the narrative that you want to be true, the way that you feel, but what is right. And this means being impartial. We should be free to call out injustice no matter where it is, no matter who is in office, no matter what or what thing is unjust. So we should be able to say that the holocaust of abortion that is happening in this country right now is an abomination. We should also be able to say that, that there is racism that is baked into our country, that has been there from the beginning, that has not been dealt with, that continues to have effects today, and that is wrong. And we should be able to say that, that there is a crushing of religious freedom that may be happening slow and small, but is there, and that that is is unjust. And we should be able to say that that it it is evil to make a child stand up in immigration court and defend themselves before a judge. All these things are happening. All these things are wrong. All these things are an affront to God. And if we can't call them all out because of our allegiance to something else, then we are on the side of injustice. We are being partial. And that is wrong. And so we can listen. In chapter 18, verse 23, it says, The poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. The poor use entreaties. They're calling out, Please help me. I need help. But the rich answer roughly. Do we ignore the poor and blame them for their condition, answering them roughly? That's not what God does. In Psalm chapter 28, it says that he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy, for goodness in a bad situation. He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. And so we can listen when those who are being oppressed cry out. We cannot cheat the system. In chapter 23, verse 10, it says, Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless. Right? These, these ways to cheat the system, to move the property line a little bit, to, to go into the field of the fatherless who can't protect themselves and, and use that to our own benefit. It says not to do that, for their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. Don't cheat the system. Just because it benefits you, And you don't necessarily even know who it doesn't benefit, who it hurts. Don't cheat the system. We can also advocate. In chapter 31, verses 8, it says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. This idea of rights is is equivalent to the basic human rights that we talk about in our culture today. And it says, Open your mouth for the mute, those who can't speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Be them poor. Be them white, black, brown. Be them unborn. Open your mouth for the mute. Speak up. Use the voice and the power that you have for their benefit. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. But this isn't just stuff that we can do. This isn't just about figuring out enough justice things to put together that we just kind of do enough justice. This is about being something different. This, is, this is, should be justice that flows from who we are in Christ. He has made us a new creation in his image, in the just and merciful image of Christ. This flows from the work of the Holy Spirit within us. In chapter 28, verse 5, it says, Evil men do not understand justice. Right? This isn't that that they they can't wrap their hands around it, their head around it. This is because of their evilness. Because they are evil, they do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand it completely. This is not a statement about their stupidity. This is a statement about who they are. Are you evil? Or are you seeking the Lord? And from that flows this understanding. In Romans chapter 1, we know what it says about those who are under sin, among which is that they became futile in their thinking, and that God gave them up to a debased mind, that they had foolish hearts that were darkened. Who you are affects the way that you do justice. Chapter 12, verse 5, it says, "...the thoughts of the righteous are just." The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Because they are wicked, their counsels are deceitful. Because they are righteous, their thoughts are just. It flows from who they are. And this, this is the, the problem of the Pharisees, who, who knew, so to speak, the right things to do, but they failed to do the right things because they failed to be Something They failed to be righteous because they thought they could figure it out on their own. And so it says, as we read earlier in Matthew chapter 23, that you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Why? Because you are whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. That's not who you are if you are in Christ. You who were once dead have been made alive in Christ. And as a result of that, because of who we are, justice can flow in the way that we live. In chapter 29, verse 26, it says, Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Many seek the face of a ruler, But it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. We need to recognize that it is from the Lord that we get justice. Maybe, maybe you are not seeking justice. Maybe you are asleep in the face of injustice. In that case, you need to get woke. And I understand what I'm saying. Maybe you need to get woke. Maybe you are woke, so to speak. Maybe you are seeking justice, but you need to recognize that there is only one source of true justice. And you, who are awake, need to go take a nap and trust that God can handle justice. We seek justice in all kinds of different places, But we need to recognize that it is from the Lord alone that justice comes. And it is not our burden that we have to bear up all justice. We have to make sure everything is right in every place because it is the Lord that gives justice. In chapter 29, verse 14, it says, If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. This is a word to those in power, especially in government, but it's an impossible standard. There is no king that faithfully judges the poor, except for one. Jesus is the king who has faithfully judged the poor, and and we know that his throne is established forever. And so we can can look to him, the one who is faithful and is just, both faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can look to the one who took God's justice and the punishment thereof on himself to show his enemies mercy. We can look to the good shepherd who seeks the wandering sheep, the sheep who are willfully wandering away from him, who sees this group of people who are afflicted like sheep without a shepherd and has compassion on them and offers an easy yoke and a light burden to come and know the communion and the fellowship that he has. To close, I want to look at Proverbs chapter 2. You can turn with me there if you want. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, where we read about the the outflow of what it means to fear God and to pursue his wisdom. And it says in chapter 6 that the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the path of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. We see in these verses that it is the Lord who gives wisdom, who sets up and stores wisdom, who is a shield, who guards justice who watches over our way. It is the Lord who who determines, who decides, who guides, who protects, who preserves justice. But he also calls us to walk in that way, not to maintain the justice, not to earn his favor, but because of who he is and what he has done, most chiefly in his son, Jesus, to follow after him and to be just in all that we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to be just. That you would help us to know what is right. To see those places in our lives where your justice and what we think of as just do not match up. Father, shave away the selfishness that so often colors the way that we live. Help us to look to your Son, who lived a perfectly just but also perfectly merciful life, to recognize the identity that we have in Him, to follow after Him, to see those places where we can be crying out and advocating for those who are suffering, that we would see those places where we may be benefiting from injustice, and to cease to do so. That we would listen to those who are crying out. That we would be impartial. Help us in this, Father, for we are weak and frail. But you have given us the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that he would empower us to do this. Do what we ask for, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.